Welcome to this week's episode of the People Podcast. Are you in human resources, recruiting professionally, or an entrepreneur growing a team? This is the podcast for you. We are going to bring you all of the latest trends, technologies, and strategies to take your workforce to the next level. Implementing the tips and know-how will enable you to create and keep a world-class workforce. Here is your host, Jesse Tinsley. Awesome. So I'm super excited to get Kent Kaufman in here today, CEO of the Growth Leadership Center. Kent, thanks for joining the podcast. Hey, I'm really excited, Jesse. This is a great opportunity. So tell us, tell the audience a little bit about yourself and how you got started in your career and, and kind of walk us through that. And uh, we'll dive into things from there. Okay, sure. So, uh, you know, I, I have kind of a broad background and career. I won't go through all the details of it, but I am an engineer by training. Went to University of Washington and Stanford University for graduate school. And I worked with IBM for 15 or so years, uh, did all sorts of cool technology early on. Uh, got into technical management and then kind of into more general management types of roles. From there, I uh, left with a group of I- IBMers, which four of us kind of left there to turn around a company here in Silicon Valley that was owned by a company back east. Over time, we turned it around, broke it off in a leveraged buyout, and then took it public in the in the late 90s. So I went from sort of deep engineering into engineering management, got into product development, like the interface with the customer. So I kind of transitioned into sales and marketing. So I did sales and marketing, a variety of companies here in Silicon Valley and did hardware, software, internet companies and did that for quite some time. And I, throughout that period, I always actually enjoyed the, the topic of leadership and was always interested in it. And so as I transitioned out of my last role, I decided to go into what I call management consulting, which is kind of strategic consulting, business consulting. And I got uh, to meet Jean Hollins, who was the founder of Growth and Leadership Center. And she had uh, built this group that had a concept of bringing people with engineering and technical and business backgrounds in connection with psychologists, organizational psychologists in a leadership center. And so in that group then, ultimately became the, the CEO, and that, that's where I am today. So I do a lot of executive coaching work with teams, do all, uh, all sorts of organizational work with a variety of Silicon Valley companies, all the way from the Fortune 50 down to small startup. That's a little bit on me. That's fantastic. So to take a step back before we dive into some of the leadership stuff that you're doing more recently, how, how do you look at like the culture compared to like IBM when you started a, a large organization versus a small startup like what did you see when you're at the IBM versus yeah, you know that this startups? this is this is quite a journey for me i would say from the standpoint of coming out of school and getting a good grounding in really in sort of deep science and research and and development sorts of roles IBM was a fantastic place to start and you know i would say a lot of folks coming out of school uh, that's a great place to start is in a big company like a Google or a Facebook in these days. Yeah. Uh, IBM, back when I was getting out of school, that they were the best company in the world. And, and they still are one of the great companies of the world. Totally. And so, you know, that early stage, if you will, being able to be in a structured organization that's large, it gives you some perspective. And from a leadership standpoint, you understand how bigger organizations operate. And so for me, I think it was a good a good path to, to get that grounding. But when you're working in a 400,000 person organization, there's some limitations to what you can do. And if you do have a bit of an entrepreneurial spirit, 
sometimes you, you want to be in a more nimble and agile group. And so, you know, hopping into a startup or into a small company actually gives you more ability to impact the business. And so, you know, I went from a 400,000 person organization to a 30 person organization. We grew that to 3,000 people in about three years. And so I've been through the hyper growth. I've, <laughs> I've, I've, I've been through the big company experience. And I find that it helps me quite a bit in my current role as a, as a consultant and a coach for executives is that I can actually, you know, I've lived in that bigger world. I understand organization and organizational politics and all the issues that are there, but also the strength of a very, very large organization and team, as well as having lived in sort of the, the startup world, I know that the joy you get from being able to impact the business in a way that only you can get in a small organization. Yeah, that's fantastic. And how do you think about like change management, right? Because company culture, once you get past a certain people, you have your foundational like culture carriers, as, yeah. as you call them. And then beyond that, how do you, what have you seen that's worked that's affected company culture? Like how to kind of implement change management with yeah. an organization that's a thousand people? Like, is that possible? Is it, <laughs> I mean, that, like at the macro level, is it really possible to? Yeah. So it's a great question. I can, I can give you a lot of examples of change management and some that are driven by crisis and some that are driven by vision. And when you talk about culture, I think, Companies, you know, startup cultures, the agile nature of them, a lot of companies and founder-led companies, a lot of founder-led companies here in Silicon Valley like to keep that some of the essence of that agile mindset, the ability to shift quickly. And, ethos, and ethos, basically. That's right. The ethos, bring, you know, build that into the culture of, of the company and keep it going, Right. But ultimately, as you get sort of larger and larger, a company culture kind of establishes itself. And at times, it is very valuable and helpful to the organization and is uh, moving it in the right direction. And then at, at times, there are forces, environmental forces that require it to shift, right? Right. Like in recent years, Uber had a, a quite a bit of yeah, crisis. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So Uber, as an example tried to keep that startup culture and, and did a lot of that, but there was some sort of double-edged sword to that because it, it actually didn't fit that well as it became a bigger and bigger more mature company, business, more, more yeah. mature company. And when I took take a look at mature companies, like one of the things that I really admire about Cisco is their ability to sort of shift over time from just networking to where they are today, which includes a lot of software and, and a lot of services. And I think one of the things that John Chambers did when when he implemented sort of his leadership uh, profile for the for the organization was to establish some leadership competencies through this thing called CLE, which is uh, collaboration, learning, execution, acceleration, and disruption. And so, with those words, you get both the operational excellence piece and the disruptive innovation that is required in a company like Cisco. So the ability to shift over time to areas in the marketplace, which also included acquisitions to drive some of that innovation, but somehow be able to have a company culture that could adopt and sort of take advantage of that strategy. So anyway. Yeah, that's fantastic. Let's talk about founders that are going through growth or even 
leadership teams, like what's your best advice for those companies as they're moving from like a startup to a more mature company? Like what's, what do you think would be really helpful if you had to give a few pieces of advice? Well, you know, I think there's this hyper growth phase having lived in it is incredibly taxing on management and leadership. Every hour of the day, seven days a week, sometimes you're working and it's energizing, super energizing. But, you know, it takes a toll. It takes a toll on everybody. And, you know, so I think in some respects, being able to sort of lift your head up occasionally <laughs> in the in the chaos, the, the managed chaos that you're in, being able to lift up and actually think about strategically what are we trying to do for the organization, right? How are we bringing in, how are we onboarding these people? How are we getting them indoctrinated with our culture? How do we bring them along? And how do we do that on a global scale, right? Because now you've got global companies, especially in technology, you essentially have to work with teams remotely. And so communication, communication, communication is another piece of it, right? So being able to lift up, think about how do we develop our workforce? Definitely. How do we get the culture right Yeah, I, and, and communicate? Yeah, I totally agree. I think uh, a lot of companies focus on like the talent acquisition piece. Yes. They forget about the onboarding and training and retention piece That's that right. comes with that. So right. they have a lot of churn, which isn't obviously helpful. So yeah, having synergies between your talent acquisition team and your HR team, making sure you're onboarding uh, and training your team, your workforce. Yeah, correctly. really, really so, important. You know, and I, I think, you know, I was just working with a, an organization not that long ago, and they recognized that it was it was kind of chaos when somebody was onboarded and the computer wasn't ready, the phone wasn't ready, et cetera, et cetera. You know, didn't even know where they were sitting. They're moving so fast and pulling people in so quickly that, you know, when they got there, no nobody was there to greet them and, and help them. And so they lifted their heads up for a minute and they said, okay, how are we going to do this better, right? How do we make sure every employee, when they walk in the door, they're ready to go? We have given them everything they need and that it looks good for our brand, the way that we do this, and that we start with this off to a good foot start when they come in. No, I totally agree. This happens way more often than I, I think you even you're mentioning, I can think of a few companies where you just you show up and they're like, here's your laptop and IT just hands you a box, a few different boxes. And like, right. I don't know where you're sitting, but there's a few open desks here at Grab One. That's so right. that's yeah. like a normal thing, I feel like, for hypergrowth companies it's, in Silicon it, Valley. Yeah. And, it, it, you know, when you think about it, it's, it's not that hard. It just takes a little preparation, a little right. thought ahead of time, right? Ten, you, literally like 10 minutes of yeah, time ten, just to ten, take ten, everything out of the box, <laughs> set it up, give right. you a desk, put your name on it. That's like, right. You know, and <laughs> make you feel at home, not like... Like you're just one of one of a number. So right, no, I think that's huge. And to talk about like the employee experience from day one, and, and not even even before that. If you think about like the talent acquisition piece, their first interaction with the company, how that brand and that message is being carried by the recruiting team, right, and then all the way through from their first interaction with the company to the last day they work at the company, what does that experience look like? And I think it's all encompassing, right? So right. you yeah. have a great recruiting piece, but if you mess up anywhere in between, that right. could deter them from staying an extra couple months or years. Exactly. And this is also when you talk about shifts in you know culture over the years. Yeah. When I started, there wasn't a glass door or all the websites where right. people talk about their experience at their companies. And and this is this is why culture is important. It's important how you start from the very beginning when the recruiting team recruits you to the next phase when we bring you in, that we give you a great experience when you walk in the door and that we retain you, right? Yep. Because if somebody has a bad experience, guess what? It's not secret. 
<laughs> it's it's up on the internet the next yep. day, right? So management teams, HR teams have to be on it. They have to be ahead of the game. And so it's even more important today than ever that you walk the talk and that if you're building your brand around your company, that you include the employees as part of that and, and that it's going to show up one way or another and, and you better show up well. Yeah, and I th- there's a few things to that that are interesting. One, Glassdoor uh, recently posted, or somebody posted some analytics and data that showed that employers were superficially inflating their Glassdoor rankings. So you'd mm-hmm. see like spikes on one day, they'd have like 20 reviews one day, then a couple over the next right. couple weeks. Yes, right. And so huge, huge like um, things for any type of company that has bad Glassdoor ratings that we've seen working with dozens of different companies, at least over, over my career, is that it'll hurt sales. So sales, even like potential customers will look at your glass store rating and they'll say, oh, that like you don't treat your employees well. We don't want to do business with an organization like that. Um, So it's not only like recruiting and and getting people in the door or even long term retention. It also can affect sales and overall business growth if you have bad glass store ratings or any bad ratings for that matter. So I think it comes down to having an ethical business and having a great employee experience and treating. There's a huge emphasis in in 2019, the last couple of years of having great employee experience across the organization from day one to the last day that they're there. So I think that's paramount above all else. Exactly. So I think that's a big area. And that employee experience, we talked a little bit about that, that that employee experience, once they're in the door and they're, they're working, there's a lot going on now, right? So, so the, just if you start with the work environment, like you and I work in Silicon Valley and up in San Francisco. So we've, right. we've seen the shift in kind of the old stale cubes to kind of the more open work environment kind of pioneered by companies like Google. And so the work environment itself is different than what it used to be. The other big factor, which is an important piece to, to think about, especially when you talk about company culture, is that we often have remote and global teams. And a remote team, meaning, hey, I don't always come into the office, or maybe I never come into the office. How do I instill the culture of our company with these remote players? And they're just as valuable. And how do we drive the company experience even outside of the office? So company experience has become kind of a a bigger idea because it also carries the culture. I totally agree. So like you were saying, cross-functional work environments, but also some different companies are doing things for not just an open environment, like an open floor plan, but they also have like a, a mixed. So you have like cubicles in one section, open right. floor plan in another to accommodate all sorts of different like work styles. Right. Some people actually, they've done a lot of studies People are less productive in open work environments because of all the distractions it takes on average. I think the number is 30 minutes to get back to work when somebody's interrupted you. Right. So a lot of lost productivity. So I know a lot of companies are moving to like a flexible where they have offices, they have cubicles, they have open floor plans right. as much as they can accommodate. I know that's hard in different parts of the Bay Area because of lack of space. Right. But um, that's definitely a thing. And then obviously, I think the way in the future, and I've talked about this quite extensively, which is remote and distributed workforces or flexible schedules is like a competitive advantage. Like if you're a small startup in the Bay Area or anywhere and you can't compete against Google, Facebook or any of these large companies salary wise, you better find uh, creative strategies to bring in the best talent, which is being flexible with your work schedule. Like, I don't care if you show up at noon, as long as you're getting your work done and it's productive, right? Yes. Or if you show up at 6 a.m., great. Or if you work from home these days a week, um, so you can have work-life balance or pick up your kids from school, that's fine. Or just have distributed teams, right? And I I think that 
goes to your point, which is how do you instill culture across that? I know what we've done internally is we do meetups. So we'll yep. have different meetups, even if we have team members that are in Reno or New York or wherever, we'll put together little local meetups and have them get together or we'll have everyone come out once a quarter for all of our team meetups here right. in the SF area. So I think there's a lot of different creative ways, but exactly a huge, huge thing for small companies or growing companies to pay attention to is distributed remote workers. Yeah, and I, I think paying attention to it and thinking about it is important. You think about the work and distributing it, but what about the workers? So very important. And the culture that you want to actually build in your company, how do you get that? How do you distribute it? So anyway, though, that is a big shift. Right. And, you know, with traffic in the Bay Area, as you you know, but most of the major cities in the U.S. and even the world, you know, is it really good use of people's time to sit in traffic or can they work from home? Yeah, absolutely. Especially if you're getting an extra hour of work in as opposed to losing two hours to commute every day and (laughs) different things. Right. Every time I sit in the car, I go, geez, you know, <laughs> why am I doing this? Especially, yeah. the, uh, you know, I get to control my calendar a little bit. Sometimes I have to, but I try and avoid traffic just for that efficiency reason. Yeah, absolutely. And so what are some of like, the trends you're seeing over the last 12 months in the, the work environment as a whole? or even? <laughs> well, OK, so let's, let's talk about sort of this big cyclical trend associated with the U.S. economy, which is that the workforce is actually getting to work. You know, we have low unemployment, especially here in Silicon Valley, especially for skilled labor uh, like programmers and, and engineers. Probably negative unemployment rate for the next 100,000 engineers that are qualified. Right. And so that impacts a lot of things. So as you pointed out, Google can probably hire who they need to. They have the the money to do it, right? But a medium-sized company that also needs that talent, they kind of figure out different ways, right? So so company culture uh, plays in that. You have to be able to attract talent here. And so you have to try hard. The the, sort of the other sort of uh, implications of that for larger organizations that are more established there is sort of an increase in loss of employees. So the retention rates actually start to go down and then you can't hire because people don't want to go work for that big organization that could be maybe works with the government or maybe even as a nonprofit or something like that. And so one of the things is around developing your employees and being in this talent development area what I'm seeing is that companies are actually putting more emphasis on developing people. And that includes technical business skills and leadership skills. Because if you build it internally, most employees feel like a little bit of payback for getting that development, right? Absolutely. And, and, and so, if, so the retention, it's not just about, okay, am I going to get a paycheck next Friday, it, it, it's about, okay, well, what else does my company give me? Right. And I think that talked about this quite a bit as well, which is like learning and development is a huge thing for all organizations. It's usually an afterthought, but I know a lot of companies are trying to make it part of their mission, which is like learning or continuous learning, which is yes. a huge one. I know yeah. it's um, been emphasized with Coinbase and quite a few other companies that are in hyper growth where that's at the forefront of their thought process. And it also helps, like as you're saying, a, a ton with retention, right? The main One of the main reasons why employees leave is for growth opportunities and they feel like they're, they've kind of gotten stagnant, right? Yes. I hear about this a lot because we're doing recruiting for 
a lot of different organizations and recruiters provide feedback. And that's one of the top reasons candidates going to go to a new job, right? So, and even going back on that, I I think you made a, a good point. I don't think this has been emphasized enough, which is, if you're a large organization, know your strengths, sell your strengths. So if you're a Fortune 500 company and maybe you're kind of dated from like the Googles and Facebooks or large, fast growth companies that people think of like SaaS companies in modern day framework, know your strengths, sell to those strengths, right? So yeah. like, hey, we've been stable. We've never had layoffs in the last 10 years. We yeah. haven't had any bad hits. Like, and then also identify what the candidates are looking for, right? If they're, there's no um, absolutes, but... There's certain candidates or, or people that are looking for jobs that want more stability or flexibility in terms of location. Maybe if you're a South Bay company or geographically positioned, that's advantageous for a certain subset of workers, right? That right. may have a family that don't want to work the nine to nine startup life 12 yeah. hours a day. Maybe they want to come in at 930 and leave at 430 every day. And that's perfect. Um, right. but know your strengths and sell to those strengths. I think that's how it is for all things recruiting, whether you're a large org or a small org adapt yes right. adapt and change so look at yourself constantly evaluate your recruiting process where are the bottlenecks where are we having problems and i think if you do that in 2019 or 2020 you're going to be super successful but if you stay anachronistic to the modern workforce mm-hmm. and what is trending then you're obviously going to have a really tough time hiring especially with the market as hot as it is yeah so i liked one of the things that you said and you know, i'll tell you a little story so occasionally teach at san jose state and uh, they have an entrepreneurship various levels of entrepreneurship programs that, that go through. So we were working with a group of Korean students for a kind of a boot camp for the past two months ago. And one of the things that is always great about the these entrepreneurial programs is that it really drives creative thinking and innovation, etc. So at the end, we usually have a dinner, etc. At, at a nice restaurant. And One of the Korean students asked me a question. He said, well, what advice would you give to us students? What is the best advice? What's the one thing that's important? And I said, I thought about it and I said, it is about lifelong learning. And, you know, when we talk about developing lifelong learning, to me, that is the best advice I can give anyone. No matter where you are, what you're doing, you have the capacity to learn. And in today's fast-moving technological society and changing workforce, you've got to focus on your own development, learn as much as you can, as often as you can. And that sort of echoes what, what you were saying. Absolutely. So uh, that's one of the main things that we look for when we're hiring internally is people that are going to kind of take the extra step to learn on their own, right? We'll provide base foundational skills and knowledge, but if you're current, like staying up with the modern trends on recruiting or whatever it is that you're doing, software developments, checking out the latest articles on TechCrunch, all the different material that you can absorb on podcasts and YouTube and different things, that's super advantageous for your career. But also, you're able to learn in the environment that you're best capable of learning in. So for me, it's not like in a classroom setting. It's like I'm at the gym, I'm working out, right. and I'm, I'm listening to this podcast. I'm like, oh, that's like I'm really diving deep as opposed to having a a bunch of different distractions digitally or otherwise. So I think that's a huge advantage. So yeah, I I totally agree. Lifelong learning is definitely a huge, huge thing. So um, yeah, that's great. So what's, what's some of like the, the best advice you could give for somebody looking for a job in the current, you know, landscape? Well, what what I would say is you probably haven't seen a better time to be looking (laughs) than now. But it is skill-based. It's important to have that skill base, right? And so 
understanding what the needs of the market are. So really kind of looking at how do my skills map well or not against job requirements that, that are out there. And, you know, I also think that you can adapt your resume, you can adapt your thinking to actually map better to what the job description is, even though it may not be completely directly applicable, you can make sort of inferences of how it could be. So really kind of trying to map well to, to what the needs are in the marketplace. And going one step back, um, going back to that learning development piece and lifelong learning, if you don't have the skills for the role and you've been a software engineer for five years, go check out the latest GitHub repo or go on YouTube and check That's out right. an e-learning video. And then you can at least add that to your resume saying like, I'm familiar with React and I've right. spent you know, this many hours on it, but I'm a novice, right? But at least you're trying to learn and you can share that in your interview. And that's going to go a lot, a long way as opposed to saying, oh, I have never even checked it out. That's right. No idea. So all the information is available now. So the onus is really on the person to it, go and find that information. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing the amount of information that you can, that you can get off the internet. And, and so again, as you say, just beef up a little bit yeah. just to give yourself a chance because you know you're smart enough you've got the educational background you've got the the intellectual capability it, it is about being up to date and, and so i think for the workforce certainly here in silicon valley uh, you know we push that in, in a big way and, and to speak a little bit about this because I, I think this doesn't this is a huge gripe a lot of people that are new grads a lot of the, the entry-level roles say like two plus years experience three years experience I, i'd love to get your take on this too but my opinion is Go on AngelList, contact people in your network, right. volunteer to work on a project for a month or two for free just to right. get your name out there. Say like, hey, can I show you like how I, I study this prototype? And then get free experience that way and yeah. learn. Offer to do it for free if you can afford it. If you can't, try to you know get a part-time job or whatever to from nine to five to pay for your bills. Right. And then in your off hours, hustle and make sure that you're learning those skills so you can take that next step in your career, getting that entry-level software engineering job or accounting job or finance job, whatever it is. Right. But um, find the ways to learn, right? Yeah, I find, find the ways to learn. Get experience. If you're, not, you know, if you're early in your college career, you've got to try and get those internships in you know, junior, senior year, you know, if you want to graduate school. And th that is another great way of doing it. And, you know, working with your universities to try and find ways to do that, which also may include, you know, working with a professor on a project or a you know, graduate school, pre-graduate school, even research projects, research yeah. program, projects that, that you can get on. So I think there are a variety of ways. And, and even as you, as you mentioned, companies like Uber give people flexibility in work, right? So right. if you, if you, do Uber at night and study or try and find that freelance job during the day that's more applicable towards your education, uh, that's going to get you that next job or that better job. So I agree. I think you, you got to scrappy, you got to be scrappy in the beginning, you got to be a lifelong learner, and those people are going to do well. Absolutely. And I think that's the same goes for entrepreneurs too, right? If you're an entrepreneur, work your, your hustle, you know, if you're a grocery bagger at Safeway or wherever, right. and work on your side hustle at night or work odd hours to make it happen, right? So yeah. that's pretty universal across a lot of different 
areas. So right. great. Right. Awesome. Ken, it's been great having you. Really appreciate your time. It's been super helpful and, and informative. So what's the best way for people to contact you if they want to get a hold of you on like social media? Sure. Well I'm I'm certainly on LinkedIn. Uh you can you can ping me there. Uh you can go to our, our growth and leadership website. You can do that and happy to answer any questions that people may have and anyone who is interested in leadership development, we'd be happy to, to help. Awesome. Thanks, Ken. All right. Thank you, Jesse. This week's episode has now come to an end, but our content doesn't end here. Head over to jessetinsley.com where you can find more valuable resources to hire and keep the ultimate workforce. That's jessetinsley.com. Enjoying this week's episode? Make sure not to miss the next episode. Hit subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.